0: Uh, back in uh, God's Word again with you this evening. Um, we are beginning, as we've been thinking about there, to uh, work our way through the book of um, 2 Timothy. Although I've been told here that it isn't 2 Timothy. It's 2 Timothy, is that right? Okay. So if, I, if I'm saying 2 Timothy, you'll understand, right? It, it's the same book. <laughs> That's, obviously, we, we say things differently over in England, but um, there you go. So we're working our way through 2 Timothy. We're going to be working right the way through um, to the end of August um, in in this book. And in many ways, this is one of the most personal letters and books that we see in the whole of the Bible. It's sent from the apostle Paul to his co-worker, his beloved child, as he calls him, Timothy. And in it, over the next few months, we're going to see all kinds of things. We're going to see the deep affection that both Paul and Timothy have for each other. We're going to see the very real issue of suffering in the Christian life, and what it will mean to press on in the Lord's strength, even amongst that. We're also going to see wonderful passages of encouragement for us, reminding us, for example, of the power and effect of God's word, and reminding us of who our God is one who is always faithful towards his people, even as we are often so faithless. But right across, and interwoven amongst all of those kinds of topics and truths we're going to consider over the next few months, there is one thing that I think holds all of this book together, and that is the good news of the gospel. In particular, what we see here in 2 Timothy is Paul pass, passing the gospel baton onto Timothy, urging Timothy now to press on himself in running his own Christian race fulfilling his ministry of proclaiming guarding passing on that original gospel message that he himself had first received from paul and fulfilling all of that in the midst of suffering in the midst of false teachers and as we think about this idea of paul passing the gospel baton onto timothy as paul himself comes towards the end of his life Of course, what Paul writes here has to be of huge significance for us today too, doesn't it? What will it mean then for us to be ready to receive that gospel baton handed to us and to run with it faithfully to the end? And what will it mean for us then to also be ready to pass it on to future generations as well? So with all of that in mind, do even now this evening and then over the next few months be praying Be praying for God to work powerfully through this book, through this series. That for each of us, He would be teaching us, shaping us, encouraging us to press on in faithfully living in light of the gospel and speaking of it, defending it, proclaiming it. And also, as we've been speaking there, pray also for the different people. We've got a whole bunch of different guys from the church here who are going to be preaching. Pray for them too, that even as they preach, this would be the embodiment of this letter, that they too would be emboldened and further equipped to defend and proclaim the gospel as well. We're this evening just going to begin to get into the book. We're going to just look at the first seven verses together, but before we do that, let me just briefly expand a little bit more on, on a few bits of context here to help us understand this book. First, briefly, let's remind ourselves of who the people are behind this letter. And we start with Paul, the writer of the letter. If you turn with me and look there at uh, verse 1, we see Paul's own description of himself. He writes, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. So the one writing this letter is Paul. The one who God called to himself, do you remember, when the risen Jesus met him on the road to Emmaus. And Paul, as he does elsewhere, refers to himself as an apostle, as one who met the risen Jesus. And then, just as for the other 12 apostles, who was personally sent out, that word apostello, sent out by Jesus to be an apostle to the Gentiles, And that is, of course, what Paul has been doing ever since that moment. We began to see that in the the book of Acts. Paul since then has been spreading the good news of Jesus further and further afield. Good news of the promise of life that is in Jesus, as he says there in the second half of verse 1. Now there's more we could say, but for now let's move on then to see the second person. Timothy, who this letter was written to. And we see in verse 2, Paul's description of Timothy. If you read with me, to Timothy, my beloved child. Last Sunday evening, in Acts chapter 14, we read of the gospel being preached in Lystra for the first time. And that is where Timothy was from. And it seems, therefore, that as a result of Paul's preaching of the gospel there, that either Timothy himself or his grandmother or or mother, mentioned here in verse 5, heard the gospel and responded to it. Whether then it was directly a result of hearing Paul preach or of hearing the good news that Paul brought via his family, in this way it is fair, isn't it, to call Timothy a child of Paul in the faith. And by the time a few years later we meet Timothy in the book of Acts, in chapter 16, we read that already Timothy was being well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and at Iconium. As the older to the younger, Paul speaks to his beloved son. But then, given that Timothy then also goes on to join Paul in his second missionary journey, becomes a close acquaintance, worker with him, Paul also elsewhere calls him, his co-worker, and his brother, as he draws alongside him. And one final thing to note about Timothy, importantly, in the, the first letter to Timothy, First Timothy chapter 4, 11 to 16, we also read that Paul and the council of elders, most likely in Lystra as well, had laid their hands on him and set Timothy apart for Christian work, including the public reading of Scripture. Exhortation, teaching. So those are the two main people in view in this letter. Let's then also consider the context. When was it written? Why was it written? And for that, we can get into the letter again itself. From what we read in chapter 1, verse um, 8, 16, chapter 2, verse 9, it seems clear that Paul is writing this letter from prison. He is bound, he is in chains. This now probably his second Roman imprisonment. This time, though, where the first time he had been released and seemingly had gone on with his public ministry, this time the future is not looking so positive. Chapter 4 particularly shows us that Paul recognizes his time is coming to an end. He writes of fighting the good faith, finishing the race. Paul is therefore in this letter anticipating his imminent death. And both Paul's imprisonment and his imminent death help to explain again the purpose of why he's writing. First and foremost, recognizing that his time is short, he's writing to Timothy, who is now uh, continuing to minister in Ephesus. And he's writing to him, as we said at the beginning, to pass that gospel baton on to him. That even with Paul soon gone, Timothy would continue to press on even despite the the significant challenges he might face. And in addition to all that, we also read that uh, while Paul seems to be condemned, death looming over him, he's also writing here to ask Timothy to come to him. We read that twice twice in chapter 4, verses 9 and 21. Paul is lonely. Many have deserted him. We read that right the way through the letter. And so he asks Timothy to come. All in all, I think chapter 1, verse 4, if you look there with me, sums up much of what Paul feels towards Timothy as he writes to him here. We read that he longs to see Timothy, that he may be filled with joy. Even as Paul trusts God in his suffering and his painful circumstances and knows that a crown of righteousness awaits him, he wants the company and joy of spending time with this trusted friend, this trusted friend of over 15 years. Isn't that a beautiful image? Paul just looking to his friend to come and encourage him. So with all of that as a way of introduction, hopefully that will serve as well as we then press on in the book over the next few weeks too. Let's begin to look at these opening seven verses. And as we do that, here I think is what we're going to see presented to us this evening. Gospel-centered Living. In many ways, if you are with us this morning, I hope that lots that we'll think about this evening will pick up on what we heard then. We've already said that defending and faithful proclaiming of the gospel is right at the heart of this book, and we'll continue to see that right the way through. But in these opening verses, I think we see presented to us three ways that we can have the gospel then shape our lives in the day-to-day. So often, I think, As Christians, we can have this view of the gospel as this past event. Jesus' death, his life, his death, his resurrection, that saved us in the past. And of course, that's true. But we need to constantly remember as Christians that the gospel should also be shaping and transforming our lives every single day shaping and transforming how we think, what we think about, how we deal with suffering, uh, who we make friends with, what we talk about. All of those things and more are shaped by the good news of Jesus. And as I say that, that is what we begin to see here, I think, in these opening verses. If the gospel is going to be the center of our lives, it should change everything. Let's dive into this and see, first of all, from verses 1 and 2, how gospel-centered lives and living those means daily living in the hope and the goodness of the gospel. As we see this, look at verse 1 with me again. There we read those words, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, according to the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Of course, as Paul talks of the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus, he is talking about what he himself has been called to communicate to others. That's what he spent his life devoted to. But given what we've just said about Paul, right, his current situation, imprisoned, death looming, it's hard to imagine that Paul himself didn't take great comfort in writing these very words to Timothy. Timothy. Because as he wrote these words, Paul is also reminding himself, isn't he, of the great hope of the gospel. That for him and for all who will be found in Christ, death will not be the end. How could that be the case? Well, because as we read about in Paul's other letters, just as Christ died but then defeated death and rose again, so also all who are in Christ will also rise. And doesn't that change everything? Here, Paul, in his own words, is being poured out as a drink offering. His race is almost finished. And yet, just as he has proclaimed to so many others through his life, now he too can rest and rejoice in this great truth. Because of Jesus, the way, the truth, and the life, he has eternal life to look forward to. Death will not be the end. You can almost imagine Paul in his dark prison cell, waiting his death, singing these kinds of words. We're going to sing them again later. Unto the grave, what shall we sing? Christ, he lives. Christ, he lives. And what reward will heaven bring? Everlasting life with him. Oh, sing hallelujah. Our hope springs eternal. Oh, sing hallelujah. Now and ever we confess Christ, our hope in life. And do and, you know, that is the same hope that each of us here this evening, if we are in Christ, have. And we can hold on to every day. Everlasting life with Christ. I don't know what each and every one of you is going through at the moment, but I do know that almost certainly For all of us here, there are things about our lives, there are situations in them that can get us down, that can make us worry, that can make us anxious, make us fear. Perhaps it's like for Paul here, to do with death itself. Perhaps it's just something else resulting from the fallen world we live in. Well, here is something, a hope for you to hold on to in every single circumstance of your life you have received the promise of life. The promise of life that is in Christ Jesus. For you, your future is sure and certain. Eternal life with Christ. For you, there is a brighter future than you can ever imagine. A future, do you know what? When you will be more alive than you've ever been before. When you will be Rejoicing every single day around the throne of our God, enjoying him forever. No wonder, right, Paul has dedicated his life to sharing this kind of good news with the people. This is the kind of news that we need to be shouting from the rooftops, isn't it? There is life in Christ. There is life in Christ. And this is the kind of good news that can also then speak to us more personally. Like probably for Paul as he writes these words, speaking hope, speaking peace for us as Christians, to us as individuals, In even the most desperate of times, there is life in Christ. There is life in Christ. Will you let that promise of life be what shapes you in your day-to-day? Will you let that promise of life in Christ speak peace and hope to you when the going gets tough? As Christians, we are those who, even in the darkest times, have hope because of the Lord Jesus. And of course, that hope flows from the grace and mercy from God offered to us through Christ. And that's what Paul speaks about in verse 2, if you look with me. There he goes on to write, To Timothy, my beloved child, grace, mercy, and peace to you from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. Once again, here in the words we would often pass over when we read letters like this, Paul is encouraging Timothy, isn't he? He is encouraging him. This is what you have received. Grace, mercy, peace. And do you know what, Timothy? That is what is going to help you to endure to the end. No matter the circumstances, no matter what you face. Timothy needs to know these three things above all if he is going to live out his calling and run his race faithfully. Grace, mercy, peace. So, as Paul writes this, these words, he points to Timothy about the gospel, doesn't he? And he points us to the gospel again as we read them. Because, you know what, for each of us too, in Christ, as one commentator puts it, we have been recipients of the most incredible gifts. We also, in Christ, have received grace grace to us who were worthless. Mercy to us who are helpless. Peace to us who are restless. Grace to us who are worthless. Mercy to us who are helpless. Peace to us who are restless. And you know what? We can live in the goodness of that every single day. Those things never change. Like we've been thinking about on Sunday mornings, we do not need to spend our lives now working hard to maybe earn those things, to make ourselves well deserving of those gifts. No, those are free gifts of God to us. God's grace will never run dry for us. God's mercies will be new every morning. And God's peace, well, that has been guaranteed by the blood of Christ when he paid for our sin. So that now every single day, we are welcome to come to our God as his beloved children. Once again, is that not news to be shouted from the rooftops? We can receive never-ending grace, mercy and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And once again, is that not news for each of us personally that can give us peace and hope and joy living a gospel-centered life is living a life that each day remembers our god's grace towards us remembers the gospel remembers the future remembers that unshakable hope that we have now saying all of that we have to recognize that living like this doesn't come easy we are forgetful people So looking to remember and live in light of this is something that we are going to have to go about intentionally, purposefully. And I guess for each of us, that will look different. How is it that you, this week, can speak this kind of gospel message to your head, to your heart, to your soul every single day? Maybe there are particular verses that are precious to you that you can turn to. Maybe it's coming to the Lord in prayer. Maybe it's on your commute to the work, just taking two minutes to turn that car radio off and remember, do you know what? Today, God loves me. I'm his child and he has shown me grace. He has shown me mercy and I have peace with him. That's gonna change our days when we live like that. But then there's also something else that I think our passage pushes us to that will also help us in this. And that is what we see here of gospel-centered relationships. If we're going to live gospel-centered lives, living in the hope and goodness of the gospel, what we see here, particularly in the first five verses, encourages us then to pursue the goodness of gospel-centered relationships. Again, I hope you're picking up of where we were this morning. We see this in the two different kinds of relationships mentioned here. First, the gospel-centered relationship that Paul and Timothy enjoy together in the capacity of Paul as Christian mentor as such to Timothy. We've already seen, haven't we, briefly, the affection shown between Paul and Timothy in these opening verses, but let's just see this again. Verse 2, Paul writes to Timothy as his beloved child. Verse 3, Paul constantly, night and day, remembers Timothy with thanksgiving. Verse 4, Paul points us to Timothy's affection for him. We We read there of his tears, presumably when Paul and Timothy last parted company. And then Paul goes on to speak, doesn't he, of how it would fill him with joy to see Timothy again. Now, I don't know about you, but that seems like a pretty special relationship, doesn't it? Why? Well, I guess it started with Paul's influence, as we saw at the beginning, in bringing Timothy to Christ in the first place. And since then, it has only continued to flourish. Flourish as Paul took Timothy under his wing, took him on the missionary journeys, trained him up, equipped him. And since then, it's been strengthened further by continuing to pray for each other, visiting each other, writing each other letters like the letter we have seen in front of us now. As we see this and see this kind of language, does it not inspire us to pursue and aim for the same for ourselves here at Great Vic? Some kind of Christian mental relationship like the one we see here where someone slightly older comes alongside someone slightly younger And does that all with the aim of building a gospel-centered friendship. Where like Paul and Timothy, we can encourage each other. We can share experiences, share life. And do all of that while pointing each other to Jesus. Probably many of us actually sitting here right now, you can think, just think in your mind, is there somebody for you already that you could speak of? An older Christian man or woman who in your life has played such a significant role as they've come alongside you. Well, remembering that and seeing what we see pictured here in this letter, let's let that encourage us to press on and to look to continue to build those kinds of relationships today. I wonder, who is someone slightly older out there in the congregation who you could look to come alongside and say, do you know what? I'd love to spend time together with you so that we can encourage each other in this kind of way. Or or who's someone slightly younger than you who you could do the same with. As Brian Croft was saying to us just a few weeks ago at our Bible conference, the joys of church family, one of the great joys is precisely this, that we are here together with all ages, all ages together encouraging, coming alongside each other And that is something that I've come to really value with what we're already seeing here at Great Vic. Particularly, for example, in small groups where we see some of these relationships developing. But I just encourage us, let's not rest on our laurels here. Let's look to see the goodness of this kind of relationship and pursue it. Of course, it's worth also saying that, well, Paul and Timothy's relationship does have this mentorship side to it. They also genuinely become co-workers and brothers. Brothers in Christ. So don't also think, coming out of this, well, this is the only kind of relationship I'm going to look for with those older or younger than me. No. We want gospel-centered relationships in all of our relationships, amongst the 20s and 30s, amongst those 40s, those 50s, those 60s, those in the friendship hour age group. Let's look to keep the gospel central in all of our relationships here at Great Vic. I think part of that then is is not allowing our relationships with people of whatever age to remain surface level. It's definitely not consigning the gospel to some side point in those relationships. No, that is what unites us. That is the thing that brings us joy together and hope. Let's let the gospel remind us to forgive. Forgive. As we're thinking about this morning, to be gracious towards each other. And let's let the gospel be what we regularly point each other to in our conversations. When someone's feeling down, when someone's worried, when someone is making plans for the future, whatever the situation, let's look to speak the hope, the peace, and the joy of the gospel into each other's lives. Let's press on in doing that purposefully in whatever way we can. There is nothing superficial here as we read Paul writing to Timothy. There is deep joy and affection and that all stems from their relationship being exactly this. It is gospel-centered. But Paul and Timothy's relationship is also not the only gospel-centered one in view on these verses. If you look with me at verse five, we write there that uh, Paul writes he is reminded of Timothy's sincere faith. A faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. Now isn't that also a beautiful picture of gospel-centered family relationships? In particular, how parents, grandparents can create a gospel culture for their children, their grandchildren to grow up in. It is almost certainly true, isn't it, that parents in particular have the most formative influence than anyone over their children. And here we see the picture of Timothy's mother, Eunice, along with his grandmother, Lois, passing on their faith to Timothy himself as they immersed him in God's word growing up. The Old Testament, they were Jews. They immersed him in the Old Testament. And then, upon hearing about Jesus, Well, they continued to do the same. They showed and taught how Jesus was that fulfillment of the Old Testament, the promised Messiah that the Old Testament pointed to. This is definitely what we see pictured if you uh, look later on in chapter 3, verse 15, where we read that from childhood, Timothy had been acquainted with the sacred writings. And this in turn led Calvin to write this that Timothy was reared in his infancy in such a way that he could suck in godliness along with his mother's milk. Isn't that an incredible image? Right from birth. And this is an inspiring one for us to follow after. Is this how we are shaping our children? What is it that our homes are centered on? How often would a Bible be opened and spoken about? How often would the name of Christ come up? Of course, these questions are are important whether or not children are in the mix, aren't they? In any home, the gospel should be central. But the example of Timothy here just shows us how crucial it is that we do, particularly with children, train them up in the way that they should go, so that when they are old, they will not depart from it. But of course, part of that is not just morally training our children. I think often as Christians, we can fall into that trap. And it's maybe the easier way to go. But it is also, along with that, surrounding them with the gospel of grace, the gospel of forgiveness that from an early age, they too can live in that hope of the gospel, that goodness of the gospel that we've been rejoicing in together this evening. If we are going to live gospel-centered lives, we're going to have to let our guard down, lose perhaps some of our inhibitions that people, oh, he's, he's a spiritual guy. We need to just get speaking to each other really, in a real way about Jesus, about the gospel, about how it changes everything whether that's in church, whether that's in home, wherever it is. Let's let these examples here and these verses inspire us, encourage us to do that. Because the rewards, they will be great. Just imagine if we press on in this way. The amount of times we will be having to chance to point each other to Jesus. We will be growing each other, maturing each other in Christ as we press on in serving him with all that we have. And that is then what we see as we come to the close of our passage for this evening in verses six to seven. Paul doing exactly that, encouraging Timothy to press on in wholeheartedly serving Christ, fulfilling the ministry that he's been called to. Read the verses again with me. Paul says he's sure that that same faith of his grandmother and mother now dwells in Timothy. And verse 6 For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self control. This is the third and closing way that we see gospel centered living presented to us in our passage. That empowered by the Spirit, we fulfill our calling. In particular view here in this book, that calling of defending, proclaiming the gospel. Now, as we read those view, these verses, I think it is clear that this, this is referring to the specific calling of Timothy. Timothy has been given this calling by that laying on of, of hands, of Paul's hands and those of the other elders in Lystra to do that, to guard the gospel, to take it out, There's no doubt that I think Timothy in particular is charged with this in his position. And in that way, pastors and elders today have a similar calling. But I think in this specific example of Timothy, we see here something that applies to every single one of us this evening. Because each of us, in our own way, also has been given that same responsibility. The same responsibility to defend the truths of the gospel, to speak about it, to take the gospel out. Isn't that what we've just been thinking about in our, in our recent series in the book of Acts? How all of us now have become those who are called to witness for Christ, to speak of him wherever God has put us. Of course, that's only natural, isn't it? If we are living gospel-centered lives, living in the hope and goodness of it, the overflow of it is like we were speaking about earlier that we want to proclaim it. We want to speak it from the rooftops. We want to tell it to our neighbors and our friends. We want to share that good news. Maybe for you and for me, though, as we think about that, we also think, though, of the possible pushback that we might receive, the negativity, the funny looks in the staff room, or wherever it might be, even possibly the broken relationships that speaking about Jesus like this could lead to. And the risk is that we, we see that and we let this kind of fire blanket, as it were, come over and just stifle that call for us, all of us, to proclaim the gospel, those fears Well, here, Paul tells Timothy, and I think then each of us here this evening, in our own way, listen, do not let those fears overwhelm you. No, instead, take that fire blanket off and let the Spirit of God, who is in each of us, breathe new life into that fire. Let Him fan into flame again in your life. You're calling to take the gospel out. As Paul says here, the spirit is the spirit of power. And so because of that, we can be sure that he will equip us. He will enable us to do that. while we also do that in a way that shows love, that shows self-control, self-restraint, not seeking our own glory, but seeking the Lord's glory as we do that. It's a scary prayer for us to pray. Something like verse 6 and verse 7. But maybe each of us this evening could ask God to do that for us. To fan into flame our desire to use the gifts of God to share the good news of the gospel with others. So, as we... Go out from here. Let's let these opening verses from 2 Timothy encourage us and spur us on to live gospel-centered lives. This week, this month, this year beyond. Never straying far from the gospel in how we think, in what we think about, in how we act towards others, in what we speak about. And let's remember that as we do that, we have been given each other. We have been given each other to help in that. And let's also remember that we have been given, each of us, the great gift of the Holy Spirit, the Spirit who lives in us, a spirit not of fear, but a spirit of power and love and self-control. So as we look to do that, we can be sure that he will help us, even as we feel our own weakness. Let's pray as we close. Heavenly Father, we do just come once again this evening and we thank you for the good news of the gospel. Lord, we've already sung of it in many different ways. We've prayed about it. And here again, we've seen it presented to us in this, these opening verses. Lord, we thank you for the life, the promise of the life that is in Christ Jesus. Lord, we rejoice in that. Lord, would that hope of the gospel speak peace and help to us every single day in all the different difficult circumstances we might find ourselves in. Lord, we thank you for your abundant mercy, your grace, the peace that we have been given through the Lord Jesus. And Lord, we pray that as a church, you would then embolden and strengthen us and help us to then live out that gospel amongst each other. Lord, help us to be quick to speak of Jesus with each other. Help us to be quick as we were thinking about this morning to pray for each other, to encourage each other, to point each other back to the grace of the gospel. And Lord, would you please, as scary as this thought is, fan into flame our desire to use the gifts that you have given us to go and take that gospel out? Lord, would we be quick? with our lips to speak of this good news because, Lord, it is life-changing news and we know that so many people in the world around us are desperately searching for that news. So, Lord, please would you use us, please would you shape us by your gospel and help us to live daily in the goodness of it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Well, we are gonna close by singing that song that I was... Quoting from earlier, Christ our hope in life and death. What better, better song to respond as we rejoice in the goodness of the gospel. Let's stand together as the musicians play.